Amen. Amen. Uh, why don't you open your Bibles? Let me see where we're starting here. I got a got three passages I want to take a quick look at, and I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark in the fourth chapter to start out with. We just want to thank the want to thank the Lord that we have the opportunity tonight to gather in His name. And the confidence that when we gather in his name, that he is in the midst of us and that he is working in us. I have faith that while I'm not a finished product, that he's still working on me. I sang that song a lot when I was a little kid. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. And it's not a... It's not a completion that happens overnight. I don't think we ever come to completion in this life. Some of you old people are getting close, but you're not there yet that God still works on us from the time we were born in, in Christ until the day we die. I believe that he is growing us and causing us to be shaped in his image. Amen. I want to read three passages, one verse in each of them. Very familiar passage of scripture, Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 20. Uh, this parable that Jesus gives here is very common. Most of you, I'm sure everybody's read it multiple times. I want to pick up on these three verses, though. Uh, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100 I want you to go to the book of Luke, in the 8th chapter. If you have the little um, notes in your Bible, some of you could cheat, and you would know where these other, other passages are, the parallel passages of this parable. So Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it, and bear fruit with patience. And then I want you to look at the book of Matthew in the 13th chapter. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some 30. Jesus, we thank you for your word given to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be those who, like in this parable, are good soil, ready to receive what you speak into our lives. And we are going to bear fruit as the result of receiving your word. It's not a question. If we receive it, God, and we allow it to work in us, then we bear fruit. And we just want to give you thanks for that in advance, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Did anybody notice as we read those three passages, did anybody notice any discrepancies, a little difference in the way those, those three passages read? Um, they were not exactly verbatim the exact same words given in three different Gospels. I don't know if you've thought about that, but there are times where when we look at parallel passages in the Scripture that they... They don't necessarily contradict, but they shed different light, I would say. And why is that? Well, you have three different people 
who are perceiving this uh, from, a, from a different perspective, and they're remembering and writing down. They didn't have pencil and notebook there with them, um, but they were writing down in remembrance what he had said. And I think sometimes when, when we think about that, if all of you sitting here tonight just think how you're going to receive what I say, and we walk out of this building, and if somebody said, what did Pastor Rodney preach on? Probably, you know, half the church might say something similar, and another half might say something a little bit different, um, even out of the same message. I think also on top of that is I think in this case, this is probably something that Jesus spoke multiple times. I don't think that he probably only gave this parable once. I think this was probably a go-to parable. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels, and I think that it was something that they would have understood. They knew what seed was about. They understood what planting was about. He talked to them a lot about seed, in fact. It wasn't just a few times that he talked about seed. He also talked about how seed was sown, and, and somebody came in and sowed in Darnell or weeds into the seed. He talked about the mustard seed. He talked about seed several different places. And so I think that as they're remembering this, that there are some things that they are each individually remembering that he said. And I, and I believe it's beautiful that it adds complexity to this parable that Jesus gives. But I believe what is important is that Jesus is trying to relay the vital nature of the word that he is speaking to their lives. Ultimately, the overriding parable that he is giving to them in these three passages is that you must receive the word of God. And this is my word. He goes on to say that in other places. But just the absolute vitality of you got to receive what I'm saying into your life. Very important. What's clear in each of these accounts, if you look at them individually, and for the sake of time, I didn't read through all of those passages, but if you look at them, is you're going to see that in each of these accounts, there is a clear attachment of successful germination of the seed to God's word and our hearing. The seed bearing fruit, that parable is directly correlated to the to the seed germinating is, is correlated to our hearing God's word. Directly correlated. It's, it's without any ability that we can grow in Christ unless we receive and hear the word of God. And this is what Jesus is emphasizing over and over again. In each of these examples, the word goes out. The seed is spread. Everybody say amen. The lack is not... In the word of God. Everybody say amen. He is speaking. He gives direction. He gives clarity. The lack is not with him. It's with our ears. And really it's not even our ears. It's our heart. That's really with it. The, the issue, he who has ears to hear, isn't everybody, I mean almost everybody, I'm sure there's some people, I've seen a few people who are born maybe without the physical ears, but the huge, 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 huge majority of everybody is born with ears. The question's not, he who has ears, let him hear. It's not these ears, it's ears of his heart, that Lord, I am ready to receive into my heart, into my life, your word. And so the, the lack is not on God's part. When we say, I haven't heard God in a long time, 
Everybody listening to me tonight? I haven't heard God in a long time. Well, it's not God not speaking. It's us not listening. And so Jesus attaches the germination of the seed, the fruitfulness of the seed, in every one of these examples to our hearing the word of God. We know that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without hearing the Word of God, which produces faith, we could say it's impossible to please God without hearing. Now we know it's not just simply hearing, but let's focus on this for a minute. We, as pastors, as ministry, do not have the responsibility. You, as as the body, we're going out and we're sharing Christ with people. We do not have the responsibility to issue spiritual hearing aids to those who do not want to hear. I think we've spun our wheels a lot of times trying to force feed somebody a gospel they are not interested in receiving. Jesus gives very clear instructions. instructions. When you go forward and you proclaim this gospel, when you get there, find those of good favor and share with them the gospel. If they reject it, shake the dust off your feet and get out of there. If they persecute you, shake the dust off your feet and get out. Out of there. There's no command that he gives us that you must stay and try to force feed something to people that they do not want to receive. Your co-workers, your family, your whatever. There is no, there is no spiritual hearing aids that God says, well, you know, I know you really don't want to hear this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna issue you this set so you can hear it even though you don't want to. No, it's all about the heart. The word of God is powerful, the word of God is sharp, the word of God is described as effective. It's inclusive in that it has everything we need. It heals, it delivers, it instructs fully, it cleanses completely, and it needs no aids. It doesn't need me to soften it for people who do not like the message. It doesn't need me to blend it up for people who do not want to digest it. I am not the mother bird who gets up here and chews up the little worms so that people who don't want to hear it can kind of get it down so they don't die in the nest. That's not the responsibility of us. The word of God goes forward. It accomplishes what it's been sent to do, Isaiah said. It never returns void unto him. And it's not our job to make it palatable. That is what America is doing in the church. Trying to present the gospel in a way that's palatable. I know we've presented it this way so many times, but you know, we, we gotta dress it up a little bit. We gotta package it a little differently. You know, th- that's what that's what they're constantly doing. And and I have an iPhone, so I, I will criticize iPhone. I don't have it on me, but every year they make a new iPhone, and really it's just the same old iPhone. They just sell you a new one. It just has one more feature that you didn't use anyway, but it's got the one more. It's just repackaged, regurgitated, so that you will need to buy it. That's not, the, that's not how the Word of God is to go out. It's the same old Word of God. Nothing new about it. It's the same established, true, proven, tried, and tested Word that nothing needs to be changed in. Culture does not affect God's Word. Culture doesn't affect God's truth. 
The word of God is not lacking. It's hearing that's lacking. I don't know how long God's going to strive with people. I don't know how many warnings America's going to get. I don't know. I think it was, uh, it was Billy Graham's wife who said that if God doesn't punish America for its vileness, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know how many times the word of God's going to go forward and we reject it. Now listen, we must be careful how we hear. We've got to come with hearts ready to receive, quick to hear because God has no responsibility to tell us anything twice. He owes us nothing. He doesn't need us. In any capacity in this, he loves us deeply. He's long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. So I think a lot of times he gives it to us more than once. But he doesn't owe it to us. So we need to be ready to receive. We need to be ready to respond. Don't think, I'll respond to God's word tomorrow. Don't think, I will adjust to what God is saying tomorrow. We, we, don't, we are not promised tomorrow. We have no guarantee that we will have another moment when we hear the word of God. Covet it, value it, and apply it immediately in your life. Something that you notice though as you look at these parables, is that each of them starts with hearing. We just talked all about hearing. But in three out of the four cases, as you look at the parable, hearing results in an abortion of the Word of God. Three out of four. Three out of four people who hear the Word of God that Jesus talks about, never carry that word to full term or let it become the life and the salvation to them. Does anybody else, that kind of strikes somebody? I, I just am rereading these again. And you know, you read, I don't know how many times I've read these parables. And this leaps out at me. Three out of four, that's 75%. Hear the word and it does not go to fruition. It never bears fruit in their lives. Say, so, well, Pastor Rodney, that's okay because you know, we're Christians, we're just not bearing fruit. I wouldn't want to read John 15 if you believe that, where it says that the one who does not abide in me and is not bearing fruit is going to be cut off and cast into the fire. I don't know what you think that means, but I don't think we're exempt from bearing fruit. I think fruit needs to be apparent in each of our lives. Three out of four. I remember pastors saying that when he was a young man, I, I was too little to even go, so I must have been very young. They did these men's uh, convocation in Covalo, and they had about 50 guys, I think, up there. And Mike Cox's dad, Brother Elder Cox, got up and said, half of you will not make it serving Jesus. These are all men who are going up and they're fasting. They're all you know, disciplining themselves. They're taking time set apart to, to go up and to, to do important things, spiritual things. And he looked at them and dad says that over half of them are not serving God. It's not even close. Jesus says three out of four. Three out, now, I hope this doesn't apply to the church here tonight. I hope that three out of four of us that are sitting here tonight 
Do not walk out of this place and not allow God's word to bear fruit in our lives. See, God wants to do some things in us, but what happens is as he begins to speak, there are some issues that arise and we don't allow his word to penetrate our hearts. We abort what God's trying to do in us. And I don't know the end of it. I would hope that we have a better statistic in this place. But Jesus' evidence, the case he makes, is three out of four. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 13. I want to just look at these really quickly. You can follow along in your scripture. I'm just going to paraphrase on them. Verse 19 The first person who hears the word of God by the wayside, by the road of their own choosing, they hear it in passing as they go through living their life, they hear the word of God and before it settles enough to change them, the devil comes in and snatches it out, he aborts it, he removes it from the heart before it can ever penetrate. I think this is the person who is never really settled. By the wayside is an interesting term because it literally means that it's along the road. It gives the idea that they are not really settled down in one place. They're not really established. They're kind of Walking by, I begin to think in my mind like when we would go up to the park and do park church and we would be there with our group of people trying to minister and you would see people walking the concrete path out there behind us and they would be kind of looking at what we're doing. They're hearing. Sometimes they were mocking. We knew those were the Bethel people, the ones who were mocking what was going on there. That was a good sign. They were hearing... But it wasn't affecting them because they were, not, they were not settled anywhere. It wasn't a place where a seed can grow. A seed doesn't grow in traveling dust. A seed grows when it gets down into the soil and it plants roots. And so that was the first group of people. Verse 20 and 21. The second person hears the word of God in stony ground and receives it gladly. He is so excited about God and Jesus, and stuff. I mean, it reminds me of Pastor Mark Holcomb told me one time, he went to a, he was doing a Bible study on a college campus, and the guy comes running up to him, Jesus is like a thousand percent real, dude. It's that guy. Receives it gladly. I mean, got the Bible in his backpack, he's going to town everywhere he goes, he's telling everybody about Jesus, oh, this is, this is so great. But when trouble and pressure come because of God's word, he becomes offended at the word of God. I've seen this happen so many times. What we call getting on fire. See the people down at the altar crying and weeping about confessing their love for the Lord. And it's all good until you say something they don't want to hear. 
This happens all over. You go to any of the college groups around town, you would see this in evidence at every one of them. All excited about Jesus, but you dare not say anything about the fact that they're fornicating. You dare not say anything about the fact that they're drinking. You dare not say anything about their pornography problem. Because I, I'm all good. Man, Jesus is doing great stuff. You should see all the miracles going on around me. It's just so amazing. But as soon as the word of God applies pressure to their life, as soon as trouble comes as the result, they become offended. There, there develops a scandal in them. And they leave. They pull out the word of God. They abort what God's trying to do and never become fruitful. Verse 22, the third person hears the word, but as it begins to germinate into life in them, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, of trying to make it, worrying about how much money you can make, or realizing that maybe God doesn't want you to be wealthy. These thoughts come in and begin to choke out the Word of God. I know that this seems like that probably is somebody else. Yet, we continually, throughout history and throughout the future, will see people who will make decisions about their life based upon financial decisions based upon what's going to work financially for them and not based upon the spiritual condition and what it's going to cost them. These are people who are more concerned about riches. Their thoughts become captivated by the status quo, by what they have or don't have, by what's going to tickle their fancy and what's not going to. And those people... Before that, that word can really take root, those cares come up and they begin to choke it out. You know what is clear in these examples? Every one of them heard the word of God. But hearing isn't enough. It's clear. 25% bear fruit. Everyone hears, but three out of four don't bear fruit. Why? Because hearing isn't enough. The command for our lives is not simply that we would just hear. Remember, the issue is not the lack in God's word. It is our issue in hearing God's word and what we do with it. Our response to the word of God is the catalyst that puts God's word into action in us. Now there are three different descriptions that I noticed. Each one of them, Mark 4.20, Luke 8.15, and Matthew 13.23, all use a different word to accompany Hearing, I was asking you if you picked it up. Well, I picked it up for you if you didn't. Mark 4.20 says, Those who heard the word and received it, or welcomed it openly, brought it close to them. 
That, that's that word receive. Luke 8 and 15 says those who hear and keep it. Different word. It means to bind, to restrain to oneself. I would, For the sake of time, I would love to cover those, but I'm not going to. I'm going to cover the one that stood out to me because I have never seen this before in the Scripture, and the Lord put this in my heart as I was reading this. It's this word found in Matthew 13, 23. And Matthew 13, 23 says, Those who hear and understand it. Everybody say, understand it. This is... This is interesting. The command seems strange to me because Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Everybody say not. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So, Jesus says, those who hear and understand it, Proverbs says, don't try to understand it. And so we got a little bit of an issue. We got an impasse. Because I don't think that Jesus is saying something different than Proverbs is. Being that he authored it, I think he would know. And I know that Proverbs 3 is right. Because I can't trust my own understanding. I needed a bigger amen right there. My understanding is what has gotten me in too much trouble. Your understanding is what has gotten you in too much trouble. My understanding has prevented me from hearing the word of God. My understanding has choked out God's word and given me a hard heart and allowed thorns to grow in my life. That's my understanding. My understanding is the reason I need Jesus in the first place. So I believe Proverbs is correct. I'm trying to get rid of my understanding. So how can I keep these two together? Well, they get a proper understanding of understanding. That's how we do it. The Greek word here that Jesus is used, Jesus uses is sinius or sinientos. And what it means is to put together with the facts, to arrive at the summary which includes action on my part. Probably the closest word that we could get to in the English phrase would be something along the lines of to synthesize. Everybody say synthesize. You know what they used to call this thing right here when they first came out? They called them a synthesizer. Because this doesn't have strings. It doesn't make sound except for clunk clunk if it's off and I would show you but I don't know if it's off or on but it would just clunk that's the only sound you would hear just a light thud of the keys actually moving but it produces the sound of a piano because it's synthesized to do it it's made up from within it it's not the machine 
doing it by strings, it's doing it by the processes that it's been created to do, to synthesize. Really, to synthesize means to form by combining parts or elements together. So in other words, to put together my actions with what God has said. Again, that's a good place to say amen. What we have been stuck in is we have been stuck in this other word that we think means to understand. And it's not the word synthesize, it's the word analyze. We think that we're to analyze what God is saying. Anybody ever watch football? And you go on Saturday or on Sunday and you can watch the football games. You know how I prefer to watch the football games? I like to go out on Friday nights. I don't want the analysis of the idiot sitting in the booth with the microphone in his hand. I really don't care what he has to say. Because he's analyzing what everybody's doing. So you watch, I don't even know who it is right now. I, don't, I haven't been watching the NFL, so I don't know who's doing it. Um, but you have all these different guys. They're ex-players and then the color guys. who They sit up there and one analyzes and the other adds the color to the commentary. And, all, and they're just sitting back and criticizing. And, well, they should have done this. And they can see it from up above. Everything's perfect perspective. And they've got what they believe to be the right thing. Analyzing. Analyze is a completely different word. It means to examine methodically by separating into parts and studying their interrelations. That's what analyzing means. So our problems arise when we try to analyze what God says to synthesize. Theology has been trying to break down God into parts and study his interrelations for thousands of years. Do you know how you develop a trinity? You analyze it. That's how you develop it. To study the interrelation of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's how it didn't come on its own. That's not found in the scripture. We have no clue how that would interact if it was that way. If there were three different gods that sat around some holy tribunal, we would have no clue what that interaction would be. But analysis has said God is not one, God is three. That's just a side note. I'm not even preaching that. But that's analyzing. Breaking it down. Dissecting it into parts. So I plan and I analyze and I break down the effects and I make a list of the pros and cons and I further dissect and analyze in order to study how this type of decision has affected me before. All of this, when God says to do something, that is what I'm doing. God says this and I'm analyzing whether I want to receive it as he says it into my life. I'm dissecting it. I'm processing it. I'm digesting it. I'm breaking it down. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't need you to do any analyzation of my word. I need you to do some synthesizing. I need you to connect the dots. The thing that I've realized is the more that I analyze the word of God, it dies in me. It seems impossible. The more I look at what God says, the more impossible it seems if I'm breaking it down. 
Everybody understand what I'm saying? If I'm trying to analyze and God says, with me, all things are possible. The more I analyze it, the more I see every impossibility. So what we are to do is we are to trust God's word, to take it for what it is. See, I see this example that I think is really clear as the disciples are in a boat in the middle of the storm. And the storm is going to overtake them. They're terrified. And Peter looks up. They all think they see a, a ghost, a phantom out on the water. And Jesus said, it is I. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. We're talking about hearing the word of God right now, right? Jesus says, come. What does Peter do? He steps out of the boat. Did he analyze what Jesus said? No, he made no analysis of it. He just said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. It could have been Jack the Ripper. Davy Jones could have been walking out there for all he knew. But he heard the word of Jesus and said, okay, you told me to come. I'm stepping out. He just stepped out in the faith that who that was was Christ. And he was walking to him. And he walks into an area that nobody else has walked in. Not because he analyzed it to figure it out. Not because he had any reason to believe anybody had ever walked on water before. Not because he could postulate in his mind that it was possible that he also could walk on water. But simply because Jesus said to do it, he did it and he walked where nobody was walking. But somewhere in the middle of this process, you all know what happened. He began to do what? He began to analyze what was going on. That's literally, you all knew it. He began to look around and go, Oh my goodness. Look, look at the size of that wave. And as he began to analyze the situation, his eyes turned off of Jesus and he immediately began to sink. He started out synthesizing. He started out when Jesus said, come, he stepped right out and said, here I am, Lord, I'm coming to you. But he ended up analyzing. I think it's the perfect picture. I'm not suggesting that we walk in stupidity. So everybody, <laughs> Pastor Rodney's saying we just need to be a bunch of stupid people. I love to study the word of God. I love it. I'm studying the word of God here. You say, well, Pastor Rodney, you're totally contradicting yourself. Because you're telling us we need to not analyze and then you just analyze that scripture. I think what I'm trying to say is not that we don't use our intellect. It's not that, because God has given us intellect. In fact, I think that he's given us logic and that we, we uh, construct that logic to be, to be directed toward trusting him. So it's not that we don't use logic. But I believe that it, our hearing of Jesus' words have to be mixed with faith. I believe that the synthetic that connects Jesus' word and my life is faith. Everybody understand what I'm saying? The synthesis is not that I, I dissect Jesus' words so that they can get closer to me so that we can become attached. 
I analyze it enough and then I can take God's word and break it down to a place where my mind will completely wrap around it. No. No, that's not it at all. So tonight, as, I, as I'm breaking down this scripture and I'm pulling out this word, giving some analysis, without the mixture of faith, it never becomes life in you. So I can break this all down. I can talk about synthesis and I can talk about analysis. And unless you... Take faith and mix it together with what you're hearing. It never becomes fruitful in your life. My point being, it's not that we don't analyze some things. It's not that we don't digest the Word of God. It's not that we don't study and try to understand as we can. My point is, is that we can never analyze enough to get outside of needing to synthesize. We can never analyze enough where we don't have to have faith in what Jesus is saying. Because what he's saying is never going to get to the point where it makes sense to me. Because when Jesus says to the crippled man, rise up and walk, analysis says that's a stupid statement. Right? When he says to the, to the leper, go show yourself to the priests, that is a stupid statement. By analysis, what are you doing, Jesus? Go and wash and be made whole. That, what are you talking about? Analysis only leads us to breakdown. It is that synthetic of faith that attaches God's word to my life. See, I, I got a lot of issues. I'm way over here, and I've got things that I'm trying to hear from God, and they seem like they're all the way over there. The only thing that attaches us is my faith in his word. And when I put my faith in his word, it brings his word very near. It draws it unto me, and I am able to grow by it. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. I think this is clearly spelled out in this passage. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Mixed. With faith. It's the same prefix on this word. It's that same sin. Curianimi. Which means mixed together to form a new and superior compound. God's word separate from my life is great. But it's not great to me. It's great to everybody around me. But when I trust his word... I put my faith in what he is saying, even though I can't see it, even though I don't understand it. Then it mixes the word with faith and it creates something new inside of me that is superior to what I had before. The word of God here is not what I need. I need the word of God here. I don't need pastor's word. I don't need the teacher's word. 
I need the Word of God in my life. And that is that synthesis process. It is the mixing of my hearing and of my faith. I see this being worked. I didn't ask him if I could use him, but I see this being worked in Brother Curtis constantly. The doctors say, hey, no, there's not really anything you can do. But yet my faith says that I'm just going to trust the Lord. This is where we walk in. It cannot be sight. If it's sight, then it's analysis. If it's sight, then we understand it. It takes no faith to walk by sight. Any of you get up and walk around your house at night when it's dark? I don't like turning lights on because it wakes me up. And if I get woke up, I can't hardly go back to sleep. So I'm stumbling around. And I know the bed's there. And I know the door's there. But I'm feeling everywhere. I'm having faith that I'm going to find that opening. I hope. But it takes no faith for me to walk around on this platform. It requires none. To walk in sight requires no faith. But to walk when I cannot see. To trust God in His Word when it makes no sense to me. It's the same things that I just preached a couple weeks ago. So when God says to honor and everything inside of me says no, there's no reason to honor. It doesn't work. See, I'm analyzing it. I have every reason to dishonor here. I have every reason not to treat my wife like, I'm, like God says to because she made me mad. I analyze it and I strip from the word the power and the effectiveness. Or I can take what Jesus said, I can apply it to my life and say, Lord, I'm going to walk in where you've said to walk, regardless of how it feels, regardless of how it looks. That's that synthesis that happens. But Pastor Rodney, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. See, we're instructed to analyze it and break it all down. Uh, no. If you go and look at that passage, really the connotation is not that the word of God needs to be divided. The word of God does the dividing. Remember, it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit, the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. God's able to do that. God's word doesn't divide. He does the dividing. You don't do the dividing. You don't get to separate it. So rightly dividing the word of truth. Really quickly, I looked up that, that rightly dividing. It's not about God's word being divided. It's about me clearing a path to divide what's in the way of me hearing God's word. It's for me to cut a trail through the forest so that God's word can get to my heart. That's what it's about. Now, maybe there is something there. Again, I am not discouraging study. I want you to study the Word of God. I, I am concerned a bit about analyzation because when we get into analyzation is where we start getting into crazy and obscure doctrines. We start getting cults formed out of analyzing this same Bible that we use is used by the Jehovah's Witnesses and by the Mormons. Same exact one. Because they analyze the Bible in a different way. What I want to do is I want to study the word of God so that I can receive his word freely and mixing with faith in what he says, it bears fruit in my life. Not study it to prove myself right. Not study it to prove my doctrine right. 
but mixing his word with my faith. What I'm saying is this, and I'm closing. Don't ever stop studying the scripture. Don't ever stop looking at it. When we break it down like I did tonight, we pull out a Greek word, it's because we're trying to understand it. And I get that. And Jesus says that we should understand, but understand in that sense of trusting what he's saying. But don't give up on reading. Don't give up on studying. But don't let your analysis of that impede your faith in what he is saying. Everybody following what I'm saying tonight? I don't want to leave anybody out there in the lurch. Don't let your analysis, your viewing of your situation, your viewing of how God's word applies to your life, remove the faith in what God says to do. Be emboldened in your faith and step where God says to step in his word. Honor, fast, pray because you trust him. Let me make this point. I think that a lot of people get caught up in trying to decide how they're going to deal with situations. Anybody ever get caught up in that? Just, how do I deal with this, Lord? How do I deal with this, Lord? I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to deal with so-and-so or what to do with the job or what to do with this. And we're trying to, we're waiting for God to bring that which I can see and I want right here to me so I have to do nothing. And what we have to do is we have to say, okay, Lord, I cannot see it, but I know what your word says. And I'm going to live there. Decisions are made by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things are added unto you. If you go the analysis route, you can find a scripture to say anything. I've watched this happening on TV preaching for years. I, can't, I am surprised at the new scriptures they can come up with that say you're supposed to give this certain amount of money. I mean, you'd think you would run out of them at some point, but no, they come up with another new one. I heard one this morning, again, it was Acts 10.31. Some guy got up and said, this is the 31st day of October, this is the word of God for you, 10.31. It's the Acts 31 word for you, and it was about you needed to give more. All right. I don't know how he got there. Oh, I do. Analysis. <laughs> so I, I just want to encourage you, though, that you will, when we, when we come to impasse, always trust the word of God. When you come to decision making, always trust God's word. Don't think it through. Don't, don't try to figure it out in your own mind. You're just going to die in the what ifs. We have to trust what God says and believe in his word. And the one who does that bears fruit. Analysis isn't bad, but it does not bear fruit. You know how fruit is produced by photosynthesis. They take that transferring of that power in the sun, that light, and it transfers into the energy and the ability for plants and, and stuff to reproduce and to grow and to flourish. And this is what we have to do. We have to synthesize God's word with our faith and let him create something new inside of us. Amen?
Amen. Pastor, would you come tonight?